to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm Sarah Hill, Associate Editor. What if you could do more in 2022? TerraSim by New Leaf Symbiotics utilizes the power of microbe technology to increase yield, improve nutrient uptake, and achieve stronger ROI, and is now available in convenient planter box application for corn and soybeans. To learn more and sign up for the 2022 risk-free satisfaction promise, visit newleafsim.com slash 2022. That's newleafsym.com backslash 2022. Today, I'd like to introduce Dean Jackson, a grower from Columbia Crossroads, Pennsylvania. Dean will be one of our panelists discussing soil health at the 2021 Fall National Cover Crop Summit. Welcome to the podcast, Dean. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So, Dean, give us a basic overview of your farm. Okay. We're located in Northeast Pennsylvania. Uh, we're a dairy operation, about 900 acres. Uh, we've been uh, 100% no-till for about 20 years. Yeah, we uh, have a short growing season. It gives us a lot of challenges in this area to get establishment in our cover crops but got to break the barriers of, of a mindset that, you know, about uh, what you can do and what you can't do. And we've been able to do that with uh, some good mentors in the area here. And it's been an enjoyable ride to see the transformation. So great. Um, what cash crops do you all grow in your operation? Uh, we're a grass and grass alfalfa based, but we do grow, of course, uh, corn for silage and corn for grain. And we have grown soybeans. Uh, this is a difficult area for soybeans, but we have done that in the past. Questionable whether we'll do that in the future. And we grow some wheat as well and as a cash crop. Uh, so there are a few of the things, uh, a lot of challenges in the area here, you know, between smaller fields and woodchucks and deer. And um, you got to grow what kind of fits in your area. How many dairy cattle do you have in the, the dairy operation? Uh, we have about 90 head total of dairy cows and then another, oh, 110 uh, replacements, bulls and heifers. We market a lot of breeding age bulls. So, yeah, we have about a little over 200 head total. What was your motivation to start using cover crops? Well, it's something that evolves over time. It's something that you have mentors that you watch. What they do in your area is huge if you have that. And you gradually see the benefits to have a living, uh, growing crop on that soil year round or as much as possible. I, I don't get caught up a lot into what it costs. Uh, it's about stewardship. It's about doing the right thing. And it's about seeing results down the road that uh, motivate and drive you to do this and to try different mixes. And of course, eventually to take the next step of planting green in a living crop. So yeah, it's, it's something that takes many years. I remember going to meetings and hearing established no-tillers talk about potential problems. Well, if you're new, they're going to scare you right out of the meeting. And uh, because you you get these things in your mind that, um, boy, that's, that's going to be a problem or what do I do about this? And it kind of scares you off. But um, 
yeah, it's uh, uh, it's just been a lot of fun to to progress with uh, the cover crop cover crops that we do and and try different things. And so, how many years have you been implementing cover crops? Well, we've been a hundred percent no-till for about twenty years, and cover crops started shortly after that. So fifteen years plus. And the way that started, my dad, you know, the generation before me, and he was you know, against no-till, and you know, that's a transition, generational transition. And and uh, but he saw our neighbors having success with it. And one fall, we borrowed their no-till drill to put some cover crops on our tilled ground after silage. And he went right ahead and did some of their ground as well for them, right on the other side of the hedgerow in many places. And he saw it for himself, the difference in soil health, soil tilth, uh, organic matter, humus, and uh, worm castings on the top. Uh, yeah, and, and how that surface would dry out quicker than our ground. And he saw it uh, firsthand. And that was uh, um, his transformation. And later on in life, he's, he's passed now, but he was a, one of the strongest proponents of no-till and cover crops in this area. So it was neat to see. That's an awesome story. I love it. What are some challenges that you have encountered with cover crops over the years? Well, there's there's two right off the bat that are, stick right out in uh, our short growing season. That is uh, in this Northeast Pennsylvania. Uh, you go an hour south of us, get down Williamsport, Jersey Shore, down that area, you've got a whole different climate for uh, heat, growing degree units. Then you go up and up into New York State in some of those valleys, and they got great ground, uh, longer days. To get something, uh, I shorten up my corn silage varieties. I like to be going the first week of September, if possible, at least started to get some of that off, and we run a no-till drill right behind the chopper. And try to get every day is critical in, in the first half of September to get growth and uh, and before the next rain. And the other thing is our clay soils, heavier soils, um, making it, uh, if we get in a rainy session there in September, very difficult to even get in there and get it planted, let alone established. Uh, so they're our biggest challenges. So we don't waste a minute uh, when it comes to uh, getting that corn silage off and getting that drill out there on the ground and uh, a day or two will make a big difference at the end of September or October. Definitely. What are your goals for using cover crops? Well, I enjoy trying different combinations, different mixes. Um, I want a balanced approach to soil health uh, because we don't know what the weather's going to be this winter, next spring and so forth. So, Number one, get something growing on the ground. That's that's the number one goal. There's been falls before that we hardly got anything going because of the wet weather and the rain and a later growing season. So to have something living on the ground at all times. And what enjoyable it is right now as I look out in the office right now and I'm seeing, you know, wheat and radishes, uh, every square inch of our ground is covered because we were able to get, get on there in good shape this that's just a steward. It's a great feeling. And uh, you know you're doing the right thing. And those raindrops hit hard. When you think about it, uh, raindrops hit that soil hard and they displace soil. And if you have something out there that can catch 
those raindrops and let them fil filtrate down gently onto the soil and then soak in. I mean, it's huge. It's something that people don't think about. But uh, raindrops hit hard, displace soil, and you need to, to do everything you can to stop that. Okay. So uh, you mentioned radish and wheat. What other cover crop species do you use? Uh, we've liked a mix with some oats in it because oats establish about as quick as anything in the fall. Of course, they die out gradually over winter and they will be laying there dead on the soil early spring for the worms and critters to get to. So I like a few oats in um, for that uh, diversity. And then we go with wheat, uh, rye if it's available. Uh, and then, of course, we're avid hunters. Uh, we have my son has a deer management program here on the farm. So we like to have radishes, turnips uh, or whatever he wants to try, different things uh, uh, between um, our farming practices and our conservation and deer, deer uh, program. We, we do a variety of things. Great. So where do you source your cover crop seed from? Are you purchasing it or do you grow your own cover crop seed? Well, this, uh, we did use our own wheat this year for the first time, but normally we grow it, uh, buy it at a local mill here, uh, Judson's and Clement Crossroads. They do a good job of giving us uh, a variety. Of course, we can order anything to them uh, as well, uh, something specific that we wanted as long as we're uh, do it in a timely fashion. Um, yeah, so that's where we get our products from right here local. Okay, and uh, you mentioned drilling in those cover crops. Uh, is that your preferred method for seeding covers? Absolutely. It is one of the slowest ways of doing things. We have a 10-foot Vermeer uh, 107 no-till drill. Much faster is to spin it on the top. We have also brought in uh, a high boy sprayer before or cedar and done gone right in uh, in the corn while it's standing. Uh, that's not my preferred method because of our small fields. We've run over quite a bit. But uh, no, we have the no-till drill to drill it in, get your best seed to soil contact immediately and gets, gets it up out of the ground the quickest. And it's consistent. And uh, we have someone on that tractor and that drill, uh, right, like I said, right behind the chopper uh, at all times. And uh, even though it's a little bit slower, but uh, if you have somebody designated to do it, it can, it'll be the best job of seeding uh, for sure and uh, the best results. Okay. Um, have you had any experience planting green? I have had. Uh, I've been in uh, some rye. Before, uh, that was a wet field. I couldn't get in to kill it. That was my plan. Uh, so I kind of stumbled into that, uh, not planned, but I was, uh, I didn't know what I was going to get into. It was four feet high and I thought I'd have a lot of wrapping, but with my setup, I didn't. And the corn came well, but it's risky in this area and it's uh, variable. And uh, I would not... <laughs> Uh, I'm not ready to jump in and do 100% tomorrow. I know that. It, I would have to, I hand I would handpick fields in the future. Um, that, uh, but yes, that is the next step. Why not? I mean, when you think about it done correctly, if you got a roller in the area, nothing will suppress weeds like a matted cover crop. And uh, I just think our 
conservation district and uh you know that they cost shared some of that uh to get people started doing that i think they would really jump onto that more but people are pretty hesitant to go green planning uh, without some type of financial backing sure so uh what kind of uh, equipment setup were you using to plant into that cereal rye? What what tractor and planter combination? Yeah, I, uh, I have a John Deere 7200 conser- uh, conservation till planter. Uh, been all retrofitted uh, with modern components. Um, yeah, nothing fancy. Uh, I have row cleaners set very lightly. Uh, Yetter row cleaners, um, the precision meters. And uh, Thompson closing wheels, spike closing wheels, which there are a lot of them, a lot of different kinds, and of course a drag chain. And uh, I had very little problems with wrapping in, in that rye. And I would do that again. I wasn't able to get any rye seed here this fall uh, locally. And I ran out of time. But rye is a tremendous uh, scavenger of nitrogen establishment. It's tough. It's rugged. Uh, that's kind of a staple in a lot of programs. You just don't want too much of it. So, yeah, that's a little bit of our setup. We'll be right back to the podcast, but first I want to thank our sponsor. What if you could do more in 2022? TerraSim by New Leaf Symbiotics utilizes the power of microbe technology to increase yield, improve nutrient uptake, and achieve stronger ROI, and is now available in convenient planter box application for corn and soybeans. To learn more and sign up for the 2022 risk-free satisfaction promise, visit newleafsim.com slash 2022. That's newleafsym.com backslash 2022. And now back to the podcast. Talk me through your crop rotations and, and what that looks like. Yeah, we, um, of course, take uh, take all my own soil samples. And uh, we are, like I said, a grass, alfalfa grass based, put up a lot of haylage, some baleage. We do a lot of dry hay and sell, sell hay. New York and Pennsylvania have a market for that that we've established. It can be difficult for dry hay, but when you're aggressive about tedding and so forth, you can, and get lucky, you can make some good dry hay. So, but uh, yeah, we we'll see down um, establishment of uh, some alfalfa and a few like three different grasses for diversity, and uh, that we'll leave that stand as long as it'll stay decent. Or ultimately, you need to rotate it sometime. But I like to see those stands go six eight years, and uh, then when we come in with corn, we'll go two years, maybe three max, and then rotate back down into maybe sometimes into a, a small grain for a year. And uh, then seed back down to to grass uh, alfalfa. But you know, when you think about it, the best way to keep nutrients out of the creeks and out of the water waterways is is sod. <laughs> let's let's face it. And I'm I'm tickled to be predominantly um, a sod-based farming operation, especially along the creeks and borders, uh, headlands, and so forth. Yeah. Do you apply any fertilizer or, or other nutrients to your cash crops? Predominantly manure based uh, from our dairy operation or heifer barn. We do, are able to get some uh, pig manure from a neighbor. And uh, we do feed our grass a little nitrogen in uh, early spring, first cutting. Uh, that will boost yield and uh, quality. 
So we do predominant, we do on occasion uh, add some ammonium sulfate or nitrogen uh, with, with always with inhibitors, agritane, Nutrisyst. Uh, I feel those products are worth the money. So yeah, that's what we do. And that's about the only fertilizer I buy. I, I do put down about a hundred pounds of ammonium sulfate in my uh, corn starter, my corn planter. That's about it. Of course, we top dress our corn uh, when the corn's up about a foot. Again, with uh, ammonium sulfate uh, with inhibitors in them. Yeah. Timing is okay. everything when it, when it comes to things like that. If you can get your timing down, you get the most bang for your buck. Okay. And so how do you go about applying those select products to your crops? Uh, dry. Dry fertilizer. We don't really have the option of liquid in this area. Uh, okay. We spin it on with the spin spreaders, both um, a narrow tote, uh, which will straddle two 30-inch rows in corn, or that or a regular tote and uh, hay ground. And then how do you go about applying the manure to your fields? Yes, we have our own equipment, which is huge for me, instead of relying on uh, others. Uh, we have two pits, one underneath our heifer barn, uh, and then of course an open pit outside for a dairy barn. And uh, we can stir that up and be spreading within an hour at any time. Always trying to catch, uh, like right after we've taken hay off or with a rain coming. We have, most of our ground is close by, so we can cover a lot of ground in a hurry. If we can catch a rain coming to help incorporate that manure, it's, uh, again, the best way to get the most bang for your buck. Fantastic. Um, have you had any experience grazing some of your cover crops, or do you just chop it all for silage? Uh, we don't chop any of it for silage. We just let it go and we will spray it uh, the following spring. Yeah, that's uh, we, we, we want it all back into the soil or in the soil. We have plenty of land, so I don't have a shortage of forage or I would. You certainly could graze it like right now here, uh, November 10th. We could, uh, you know, put a fence out there around and graze some of this, but uh, you know, in two days, we got an inch of rain coming, and it'd be mud, and uh, actually going backwards. But there are areas, and there are soils and fields that uh, to have cattle out there tromping that down some and pushing that into the ground is, is beneficial, no doubt about it, depending on your soil and your conditions. For sure. So um, talk a little bit about how you go about terminating your cover crops. Yeah, I um, April, you know, I'm going to go in and spray. Uh, I'll lay down a generic glyphosate, uh, one quart. I put a turbo, which is an adjuvant. And also I'll throw in a quart of atrazine and a pint of, of dual or generic dual metulachlor. And that's it. That's my pre. And uh, that will hold things back and kill everything that's growing. And then I come in with a post uh, spray when the corn's up about a foot or six inches to a foot. And that'll be another quart of. Uh, Credit Extra, Adjuvant, and Resolve Q, and a little bit of status. And I have had tremendous results with that, splitting that all up into two. I just plan on two two sprays, and uh, then it takes the guess out, guesswork out of things. And I've been very satisfied okay. with that program. So uh, with the potential talking about glyphosate shortages, um, are you – making any plans for adjusting your termination uh, options for 
this coming spring? Well, I haven't. Yeah, you never know what's coming down the pike, what changes you might have to make, and you got to rely on your crop consultants. But if, if things were taken away from you, there's no doubt that you could eliminate that pre-spray with uh, by planting green. If that cover crop was good enough and thick enough, and, and you went in there and planted right in that, you could eliminate that pre and uh, just come in probably with a post after the corn is up. Uh, six inches to a foot. Uh, so yeah, I, I think about it. I certainly do. And uh, um, and that day may come and it may come soon. Uh, who knows? Um, uh, but uh, yeah, you gotta, if you think about the ideal situation and uh, I, to, to take the corn silage off and to put the cover crop in in September, early September, and then we come in with a liquid tanker and cover that with manure whenever we can get to it. Right in that, right in that mix. So there, you got everything you need right there. You got your manure. The cover crops are absorbing the manure nutrients, and then you go through the the winter, and then you come in in the spring and just let it grow. Let it go and grow, and let that get up there a couple feet high or whenever you can get in there and go right in there and roll it and plant right in it, and then just see what happens. Uh, that'll hold back the weeds. Um, the only thing you'll have to do is, you know, to get your maximum yield or good, good yield would be to add some nitrogen and one, one post spray program, maybe, uh, when that corn's up a foot. I mean, that is to me is the ideal situation. If, if there's a lot of variables with weather and soil conditions, but, uh, yeah, you could, uh, it would be so great to see. Uh, an area of farmers, say like our whole watershed in our area right here. Wouldn't that be neat to have all farmers on the same board, same boat, doing the same thing, and just see what we can do as a group in a whole watershed. And uh, yeah, they're just some of my visions, I guess. I love it. That's great. So um, what changes have you seen to your soil health that uh, you can attribute to cover crops? Well, it's, again, there's so many other variables. We've had some terrible wet falls where we just compacted the soil and went backwards trying to get the crops off. You know, if you had drier ground and you had consistent weather, uh, those transitions into really good no-till conditions would be quicker and more sustainable. But you have setbacks, and it's called wet weather uh, and weather in general. And, uh, but no, it is, um, if you can get the ground dried out good enough, uh, when you're planting, not a sticky situation, but I mean, that soil, the way it crumbles and it gets that dark texture to it, uh, the worm castings on the soil surface, uh, go out at night, uh, during a rain event and look at the earthworms all over the place. Uh, you know, it, it's really true. You know, you're letting the worms uh, do the plowing for you. <laughs> They're doing the, the dirt exchange up and down and uh, through their worm channels and holes. And uh, it's just it's just watching nature work, I guess. It's just watching, um, getting over those um, barriers of all that tillage over the decades before us and uh, – uh, you know, that was a that was something we had to overcome, and we've been able to do that thanks to some good neighbors and uh, mentors in my area, like I said. 
And now, to me, why? I don't know why anybody would plow or even chisel plow. I, I, I have no idea. I mean, we made ruts here a couple of falls ago, and I just went in the next spring and lightly dist the tops of the ruts off, you know, and next thing you know, things fill in and it levels itself out. And yeah, I thought that was going to be a big challenge, but just let nature kind of do its thing. And uh, before you know it, uh, you're leveled out again. And sh sure, there's times you got to do a little bit light tillage, but uh, yeah, so a little bit of my story. Okay. Um, you mentioned that you do your own soil testing. Have you seen any changes in uh, the levels of soil organic matter in your soil? Well, I haven't done a lot of organic matter testing. Uh, Conservation did, though. Um, they did the Haney test on some of our ground, and I don't have those results in front of me. Oh, one thing I've really noticed, uh, it just seemed like years ago, before we, any seedings we did, we always were adding a ton or two of lime, you know, through that rotation. I'm surprised in recent years, I go out and take those soil samples, you know, and it's been, oh, six, seven, eight years since we've rotated back into a seeding. And you think, well, I'm going to have to add lime. And so many times I don't. Uh, I've really noticed that and I can't give a real answer why, but it just seems that the pH has been more consistent. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why, but uh, you're thinking to yourself, it's got to need lime, but uh, you know, you, you want to follow your soil samples. So and that's a good thing. So. Okay. How about any changes to soil color or aggregation? Yes, definitely. Um, uh, you'll see no-till ground that transitions uh, turn into a darker soil. Um, and a lot of that is uh, the exchange of, you know, soil brought up for with worms and worm castings and uh, organic matter and the breaking down of organic matter, whether it's corn stubble or stalks or soybean stalks or whatever it is on top of the ground. Um, and the aggregate will, yes, definitely, they call it cottage cheese, you know, where it just falls right apart. Um, yeah, I've definitely seen a difference. How about any changes with soil erosion? Well, it all, there's a lot of different situations, soils, slopes. That you have to protect uh, no-till. The top two inches is pretty soft that soil. We don't have a problem, but you still got to do your conservation practices and you got to get your, your uh, ground covered with something green because you, that top inch or two can be prone to erosion uh, and, and no-till as well because of the, the softness and the organic matter of that soil. And it'll be those little streaks you'll see in certain places. Uh, not heavy loss, but uh, so we, yeah, we we're always looking to improve every field, and that can be tile, that can be sod waterways, uh, diversion ditches are kind of in the past now. We're done with them, but uh, yeah, anything we can do to keep soil on the or in in the sensitive areas, we leave in sod. Uh, long, for instance, Mill Creek runs right down to the Mount Pisgah State Park right here, three miles south of us, and we have two big fields on each side of that that are seeded into reed canary grass and, and left that way permanently, and that's what our 
that's all our that's our bedding for our whole herd. Uh, we wait till August and harvest that as bedding. So that's a heavy sod on both sides of the creek and about as good a buffer as you can get along along a creek. So um, have you seen any weed pressure um, changes as a result of using cover crops? I have not. I have not seen any problem. The only problem we got into is when we went to soybeans, uh, the combines brought in mare's tail into our area that has been a real headache and uh, that got that just covered everywhere and uh, that's about the only challenging thing we have here right now is uh, and that's one of the reasons we've gone away from soybeans at least temporarily until we get that figured out but no uh, the weed control as long as you're on a pretty good rotation um, and cut often uh, like we do with our hay and alfalfa and uh, we haven't had much problem at all except in some soybeans. All right. Well, Dean, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm afraid we're out of time. Okay. All right. It's been a pleasure. Join us for the Fall 2021 National Cover Crop Summit on November 16th and 17th for two days of convenient online cover crop learning. It's free to sign up, but listeners of this podcast are invited to save 50% on all access registration for VIP benefits. With this exclusive discount, you can pay just $25 for access to a can't-miss lineup of on-demand learning sessions featuring today's most successful cover crop adopters, researchers, and agronomists sharing their best feeding strategies, grazing and feeding tips, variety selection secrets, and more. Visit CoverCropStrategies.com summit and use discount code PODCAST25 at checkout. Once again, I want to thank our sponsor. What if you could do more in 2022? TerraSim by New Leaf Symbiotics utilizes the power of microbe technology to increase yield, improve nutrient uptake, and achieve stronger ROI, and is now available in convenient planter box application for corn and soybeans. To learn more and sign up for the 2022 risk-free satisfaction promise, visit newleafsim.com slash 2022. That's newleafsym.com backslash 2022. For more information about all things Cover Crops, visit us online at covercropstrategies.com.